Welcome to Kafa tonight. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike. Hi, David. Before we go any further, can we get the Bibles passed out? If you forgot yours, or maybe you don't have one, please take one. Consider it like a late Christmas gift from Chi Alpha. Now, while those are being passed out, let me tell you a bit about who I am. Uh, I went to school here at Central. I graduated with a degree in law and justice, and now I'm an intern for Chi Alpha. I'm about five months away from marrying the most beautiful, wonderful woman in the world. It's really exciting. Is the picture up? Oh, yes. That's my favorite picture from our entire engagement. It's, it's my favorite. Some of you might be like, oh, gosh, I've never seen her before. Who is that? Well, that's because for all of fall quarter, she got the chance to study abroad in Macau, China. And finally, she's back. <laughs> it's very exciting. Her, she's a SPED major, and her heart for God and children inspires me every day. She's also who you have to thank for my love of the Sounders. <laughs> All right, so let me tell you a little a story from, from my youth, the days of when I was young. <laughs> Those days. Uh, so when I was in the fourth grade, I got my pearl blue Game Boy Advance SP, the one with the backlight built into it, right? Pokemon Emerald was my favorite game. I love Pokemon. I still do. I still play Pokemon Go. I still play the same Pokemon Emerald game to this day. I, just, I love Pokemon. Well, my mom gave me my Game Boy with one rule. I wasn't allowed to take it to school. And let me tell you what a major bus kill that was. Because, like, you know, everyone knew that ki those kids on the bus, right, with the Game Boys? And they would, like, trade and play their games together. Well, I wanted to be a part of that group. So I started sneaking my Game Boy to school, like, every day. Like, I'd wake up, sneak it in my backpack, come home before my mom saw, take it back out. It was, like, a couple weeks of this. Well, one day I got in trouble for an unrelated reason. And my mom <laughs> was like, okay, give me your Game Boy. I'm taking it away. And I hadn't yet snuck it out of my backpack yet. <laughs> and so I did the only thing that I could think of that I was like, this will get me out of this. I looked at my mom, and I was like, mom, I lost it. <laughs> well, that didn't work, because my mom remembered that morning when I was playing the Game Boy in the living room. So long story short. I got in trouble for whatever I got in trouble for, and for that. Actually, last night when I was ta talking to my mom, I actually told her I was going to tell that story. And her only response was, it's just so funny that you thought you can get away with that. <laughs> OK, hopefully you all have your Bibles. We're all ready. Uh, let, me us let me open us up in prayer. God, thank you so much for bringing us all together after an awesome break. Um, God, I pray that through this message tonight, God, that you really just speak to each and every single one of us. In your name, amen. So I am so excited to start off this quarter's message series. This quarter, we're going through the book of Genesis, right? Now, the book of Genesis is one of my 
all-time favorite books. It's beautifully written, and it teaches us so much about the character of God. It's about his relationship with these things called humans. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the book of Genesis, it's the first book in the Bible. Right there, page one. Now, why are we going through Genesis? Well, Genesis is really cool because it's written by real people, for real people, about real people. The people and the characters, the historical figures in this book have flaws. They're all human. This book shows the ugly of the world, but also the awesomeness of God. This is the book that starts our whole journey to Jesus. Who knows who wrote this book? Anyone know? Well, a good pal, Moses, wrote it. Moses was an Israelite who was brought up in the Egyptian house of royalty. Have you ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt? <laughs> right? It, it's kind of close. <laughs> not not kind of there. He was well-educated, though, in everything Egyptian. He ran away from Egypt after murder, murdering a guy in anger, only to find God speak to him through a burning bush. God tells Moses that he is going to be empowered to lead the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. The Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. It's like two Americas. <laughs> the Israelites had fully adopted Egyptian way of thinking. They totally adopted that their culture. And they had forgotten about their God. So God charges Moses not only with leading his people physically out of Egypt, but also into a spiritual renewal. God wanted his people, the Israelites, to know who he was. Do you think God still wants us to know who he is? As slaves, the Israelites had grown up hearing all about this God named Atum. Now, Atum created himself out of the waters of chaos that stretched over all the universe. He then pulled up mud from below the sea so that he could stand, and he puked up two children. Now, these two children were in charge with balancing the natural order. Through this, the world was created. Atom's kids made two more gods, one who was stretched across the top of the world to become the sky, and one who was put far below to become the land. Does that sound a little familiar to you guys? Let's read the first few verses of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made a vault that separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the
the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And so it was. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So why would Moses write Genesis 1 like this? Kind of like in this style of writing. Because it kind of seems to mimic the Egyptian creation story. Well, Moses is taking something that the Israelites knew and fixing the story to point to God's sovereignty and majesty. God Almighty created the world. He lives outside of the world. He wasn't created. He didn't need any help creating the world. The style of writing is called a polemic. A polemic is a piece of writing used to aggressively correct or fix a teaching. Moses is using Genesis 1 to reorient the Israelites' minds to what is important about creation. The important thing about creation is that God did it. So what does this mean for how we read Genesis? How are we supposed to understand this book? How many of us have had the struggle with creationism versus science? I have. It's a hard topic of conversation because it feels like there's so much animosity on either side. It feels like a soul-sucking battle where you can't be a Christian and believe in carbon dating. Well, I grew up wanting to be a scientist, specifically a paleontologist. I wanted to discover dinosaur bones. I wanted to figure out what our ancient Earth looked like. But between advanced math and the science versus faith debate, the dream was crushed out of me. I had it in my head that I couldn't be a Christian and believe in science. Nowadays, I don't think that's true. It's a fan this is a fantastic conversation to have, and I encourage everyone to learn what they can about science and faith. Our own Dan Gunther is actually writing a book about it, and I'm really excited to read it. After learning kind of already what I've shared with you tonight, I don't think Moses is telling us the exact way the earth was created. I feel like when we read creation as a scientific paper, we miss out on what Moses is trying to say, say to what he's trying to tell us. I think Moses is telling us more about who made the earth. Why? Well, he's correcting, correcting the Israelites' thinking. Remember, they have been lived in Egypt for 400 years. Moses is telling us that God alone is powerful enough to create the universe. Everything after that is just a demonstration of God's power. What else is Moses teaching us in Genesis 1? Well, he teaches us about who we are. Have you ever thought of yourself, who am I? What is my purpose? What was I created for? Well, if you're an Israelite, you had grown up hearing a story kind of like this. A Tom lost his children. Father of the year, right? Now, in order to find them, a Tom sent his all-seeing eye out into the world to find them. He eventually did, and he was so happy he cried, and the tears he shed fell to the earth and made humans. The humans were a part of creation as servants to the gods to create temples 
and to worship them. But how does Moses tell us we're made? Let's read Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. How does what Moses tells tell us about who we are differ from what the Israelites have been hearing from Egypt? Well, one of the first differences we can see is that we were intentionally created by God. This difference is it's so different from the almost accidental creation that the Israelites have been hearing about. The second difference, though, is really what gives us our who am I answer. Guys, these verses need to be underlined and like reread a hundred billion times. Moses tells us that we are the image of God. Not only that, but we're to rule the earth. How's that for a jarring leap? from like slaves to royalty, right? We are made in the image of the all-powerful God who created every living thing, including us. To the Israelites, this was a big deal. If something was made in the image of something, it meant that it had its essence. That would make us like God. God's essence is in all of us. We were created to bring God glory. We were created so that God would have partners on this earth. To cultivate it and to rule over it. God, the king of the world, giving the earth to us to take care of it as his image. How well have you been living like the image of God? What does it mean to live like the image of God? Living like the image of God is to live a life glorifying to God, to act like God acts, to think like he thinks, to image him. This is life in worship of him, to be in relationship, loving others, helping the poor, and living a life that is holy and honorable to him. So what happened to humans? Well, if you're an Israelite, you knew exactly what happened to humans. Atum changed his name to Ra in his old age, and the other gods started to rebel. Then the humans rebelled against Ra. So what did our friend Ra do? He killed them all. He took the form of Seket and slaughtered all the rebels against him. Then Ra turned into Hathor, the cow goddess, and retreated to the heavens separating humans from gods and the heavens from the earth. How does Moses tell us the rebellion against God happened? Well, in Genesis 2, Moses tells us about two humans, Adam and Eve. They lived in a special garden with God. Their jobs were to tend to the garden. They were told by God to not eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What happened next? Let's read Genesis 3. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So two humans walk up to a tree and find a talking snake. What does the snake say to them? The snake says some things that puts God into question. But the snake's logic is ironic. He says that when they eat the fruit, they will become like God. The irony is that they and us are already like God. We were created in his image. What the snake is referencing is being godlike, to create our own moral compass, to decide what is good and what is evil, to become our own authority. We are supposed to be like God, not God-like. The snake led Adam and Eve to question what God had told them. Adam and Eve questioned the love that God had shown. Have you ever questioned God? So, who is the snake? Well, we know he isn't on God's side, so he must be on his own. The snake here appears to be an adversary of God. We know who the enemy of God is. The enemy of God is the devil. Revelation 12.9 says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the world astray. The devil was trying to convince Adam and Eve to take it upon themselves to become God-like. What is the result? Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and their eyes are open, and they realize they're naked. They felt shame for the first time. Have you ever felt shame before your creator? Then what happened? Let's keep reading in Genesis chapter 3, picking up in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And, and he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? 
The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So God comes walking through the garden. And this is probably terrifying for the Israelites. Remember how Ra reacted to humans' rebellion? And I think this is where we see the difference between man-made gods and the God Almighty. How man-made or Egyptian is your thinking of God? God calls out to them, Where are you? And where were Adam and Eve? They were hiding from God. Which is also funny because God is the creator of everything. He holds all the knowledge and knows everything. So why does the all-knowing God ask Adam and Eve where they are? And why do the humans think that they can hide from him? Have you ever felt God calling out to you? Do you think God wants you to come out of hiding to be with him? Our God wants us to come to him. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with you. God is a loving, compassionate God. Unlike Ra, who slaughtered all the rebels, God calls to them. He asks them what happened. What do the humans do after God tells them what happened? Do they honorably tell God what happened? Do they say, oh, the snake tricked us, and we questioned you, and we chose to do it, but we're sorry? No. Did I tell my mom the truth when she asked for my Game Boy? No. Adam and Eve, they start blaming each other, making excuses. Their relationship breaks apart more. There's another thing going on here, though. Who are they reflecting? Are they reflecting God's image or the snake's image? If God is full of life, truth, and love, and the snake is full of death, deceit, and hate, who are the humans imaging? It seems as almost that they have rejected the image of God for a self-preservation of their own image. Stop for a moment. Is the world the way it is because God is making us act like snakes? Or because we choose to act like a snake? Who are you imaging? God or the snake? So how does God react to the sin and rebellion? Surely now God must be about to smite them. Let's keep reading in Genesis 3, picking up in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. 
and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So how does God react? Does he smite them? No. In fact, God doesn't even curse them. He curses the snake and the ground. The man, the woman, though, he gave them a chance to continue to live. Their life will now be hard, and they will be out of the presence of God. But they're going to live. God is merciful. His mercy is further revealed when we look at the curse of the snake. So let's reread that. Genesis 3, 14 through 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What is God communicating to us through Moses? On our first glance, it feels like God is saying that humans are going to forever fight little snakes. This would be the part about enmity between the offspring. But is that really what's going to happen? When was the last time you fought a snake? We know, though, that the snake in this part of Genesis isn't really a snake. It is the adversary of God, the devil. So when we put that into the poem, we see that humans are always going to fight against the devil. It also sounds like he's going to win. The poem talks about the snake's head being crushed. But the snake also kills the offspring of the woman. How's that for today's positive verse? Except that when we think about it, it kind of is. This is probably one of the most positive verses in the Bible. Yes, it is saying that someone will die at the snake. However, the snake also dies. Through an act of self-sacrifice, the snake is destroyed. Evil loses its grip. Do you know anyone in the Bible who is self-sacrificing? Does that sound familiar to you? We see this in Jesus. Jesus, through his death on the cross, destroys 
the hold that the devil has on our life. Through the blood that was shed, we are called back to our vocation of being the image of God. Paul says in Romans 5.19, For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. It is through Jesus that we are brought back in relationship with God. Moses ends the creation and fall of man stories on an uplifting note. There will come a battle of heavenly champions for the rescue of the fallen world. How does this differ from the Egyptian theology that the Israelites had heard? Well, because of the rebellion, humans were forever enslaved to gods they would never meet, separated from them, and stuck on earth. Our God didn't separate himself from us when we rebelled. He became one of us, so we would never have to be separated from him. In conclusion, God is sovereign over all of creation. Man was created in the image of God to, for his glory to rule over the earth. Humans rebelled against God, and God enacted his rescue plan from chapter 3 of the whole book. The worship team can come up now. As we move into a time of reflection and worship, I would love if everyone spent some time journaling and praying with one another. Here's some prompts to kind of help start your conversation with God tonight. Are you hiding from God? Remember, God wants you. God wants to be in relationship with you. He calls to us all. If you are feeling the shame of sin, God takes that shame away from us. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will cleanse us our trespasses, our sins. Who are you imaging? Are you imaging the snake and the world or God? Remember, when we image God, we bring glory to Him. We bring love and peace into the world. We live a holy life, honoring to God. When we image the snake, we live for ourselves. We live to please the world. So who are you imaging? And finally, how can you go forward from tonight as the image of God? If this means accepting Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to find someone and pray with them. Maybe this looks like sharing the good news of Jesus with your friend in class. Maybe this means coming clean to God about sin. Or maybe this means reading your Bible and worshiping God in your personal life. I'm going to close this in prayer now as we move into a time of reflection and worship. Father God, thank you so much for the books that you have given us in the Bible. Thank you so much that they were written about real people, God. And thank you so much for Genesis 
that teaches us all about your sovereignty and how much you love us. Thank you for teaching us that we are not accidentally created, but we have been created in your image to rule this earth with you, Lord. God, I pray that tonight you speak to everyone, God. I pray that everyone is able to enter into worship with you, Lord. Amen.